0: how do you start a restaurant? How do you get going in the food business? And that's one of the questions we come across time and time again in pop-up. And in episode 24 of season one of The Rebel Entrepreneur, we met Keith Hunt, who's launching Redheaded Step Taco and is building his restaurant business. And he's come back today to tell us how his mini experiment has gone. Did he make money? Did he enjoy it? Is he going to go again? What's going to happen next? The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us, to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur. So welcome back to the show, Keith. How are you?
1: Thank you so much. Doing great. Yep. Excited to be here.
0: So tell us what happened, because the last time we met, you were right in the middle of your pop-up restaurant. You were doing that experiment, and actually it was part of a long line of mini experiments in the culinary world. How did that experiment go? What happened? How long did you run it for? Like, tell us everything. I'm dying to know.
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, like you said, it was kind of a chain. I started with just some weekend-only events to test out what the reception was in the area. Seemed to be well-received, and then I was able to secure a month-to-month lease in the same space. And when the coronavirus hit and everyone was staying at home looking for places that offered takeout in our town that only had two current options, I saw it as an opportunity to (laughs) jump in.
0: So you weren't competing in a market like New York, where there's a million options everywhere. You were competing in a place. There was two other options currently.
1: Exactly. Yep. So, yeah, it looked like pretty low risk. It was already fully furnished, I think, as we discussed. So, yeah, I I jumped in. I had no idea what I was doing at the beginning. <laughs> uh, I had to hire some employees, which I'd never done. Um, Basically, in the past, I had a couple of people helping me out, but um, I'd never actually established myself officially as an employer. It was a lot of ups and downs, learned a lot of new skills, and overall, I would say it was a success, uh, which we can get into the different finer points. But it a success, um, just because you know the whole point of an experiment is to see what the outcome might be, predict what an outcome might be. So for me, that was the most important part of it. Whether I made money or not, it at least gave me something to judge whether I thought it would be worth pursuing further.
0: I love that. So before we dive into the outcome. I love the fact that you'd never done a lot of this before, but you took on a restaurant and just went for it. What gave you the confidence to just hire people and make this happen? Where did that confidence come from?
1: Well, I don't know if it was confidence or uh, ignorance, but... (laughs) but basically i'm always one of those guys that just likes diving in and doing crazy ideas and you know most of the time my wife's got to bring me back down to earth so yeah i guess i've always just jumped in head first and kind of enjoyed learning through doing rather than reading and reading and reading and asking so many questions and never getting started so yeah, yeah i figured the worst that would happen is it just fell flat on its face and i just lost one month of rent so it seemed pretty low risk to me.
0: And how much was the rent a month for the restaurant?
1: Uh, it was actually only eight hundred a month, and that included all the utilities. So.
0: That's unbelievable.
1: That's unbelievably <laughs> expensive.
0: So you were you were on the line for eight hundred dollars. So you thought that's a small risk I'm willing to take. Let's just see what happens.
1: Yeah, exactly. I figured you know even if I only made it a week, I should at least be able to break even for that first initial investment.
0: And I think. This is one of the what Keith just said is one of the really important points in entrepreneurship is about knowing your downside, knowing the risk. And I think so many entrepreneurs don't really understand what they're putting on the line when they're doing a business experiment. But Keith knew his downside was eight hundred bucks. There was other downsides, because if it had all gone wrong, you might have poisoned half of the town. (laughs) But I'm assuming you had some insurance to cover those risks.
1: Yep, sure did.
0: And it's about knowing those risks before you jump in. So how did you think through that process of, okay, the worst that could happen is X, the best that could happen is Y? Like, How did you know it was a good idea to do this experiment?
1: Well, since I'd done those two or three weekend events, I kind of built on that. I already saw that there was some excitement going around the town. Uh, I think I mentioned this last time, one of our weekend events, we had over 100 orders in the weekend, and the town only had about 1,500 people. So um, <laughs> to get almost 10% of the local town, I said, man, if we could uh, project that out into somewhere else, I could make a lot of money. So yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm really bad with keeping records and things like that. So usually, if I do any type of math or planning, it's just kind of, back of the envelope, as they like to say, on spy, And yeah, just was pretty confident based on those mini uh, mini experiments that I had done that I could at least break even on it.
0: Well, I love that, Keith, because I definitely want to back that up. That back of the envelope working out of the maths is actually really important to understand the numbers. And when you're starting out and you're doing a mini experiment, it doesn't have to be a complex cash flow and Excel spreadsheet and all of that stuff. You just need to know what do you think you're going to spend? And a rough idea, do you think you can sell X? And does it make sense to have a go? And I think that's just so critical. And my first ever member of the team, I hired a guy called Henry. Henry now pretty much runs pop-up business school. But before I hired Henry, I did the numbers based on how much money have I got coming in over the next year? What have I already sold? What am I spending and do I have enough to cover his salary? And I had a year's cash to be able to cover his salary. So I thought the worst that happens is he joins and he's rubbish and (laughs) I lose some money, but I've got that money and it's okay. And I've got enough money coming in to be able to cover it. So I knew my downside. I knew what I was spending and I was willing to roll the dice Uh, and Henry himself will say he was fairly rubbish for the first few months um, (laughs) but he learned very quickly and now he runs the whole place but there's a really important point about capping the downside understanding what your downside is
1: yeah I think probably didn't evaluate every detail that maybe could have been evaluated but basically I was just looking at kind of a worst case scenario and even in a worst case scenario like we said I wasn't out all that much so I was willing to. Even if I had no idea what I was doing, I was at least able to roll the dice on that. And, you know, if I lost it all, then it wasn't going to be life changing.
0: Well, I think you've got two ends of the spectrum here, Keith. You've got if people are thinking of doing things, you've got the people who don't do enough homework. They don't really understand any of the numbers. They just have a go and it could all go wrong. And then you've got the people at the other end who want to know every single detail before they do anything. And actually, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you need to be somewhere in the middle because you're never going to know every issue. You're never going to know every problem. It's impossible to know, and you need to learn on the way. At the other end, if you don't know anything, you're in for some problems. So, yeah, do you have any tips for people? like That middle point of knowing enough, Like, how do you know enough to feel comfortable?
1: Well, um, I will say... I have tried some other entrepreneurial ventures that I jumped in a little too soon before I knew what I was doing (laughs) at all and ended up being a little more costly. Basically, I like to say I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And looking back on those particular instances, I think what would have helped me was talking to people who were already ahead of me on the path and get advice from them because you can look at all the numbers, you can evaluate it, think you know what's going on, but if you're jumping in especially to something new, like I said you don't even know what you don't know. So you can be making the best decision with what you have but still completely fail. Um yeah, I would recommend reaching out uh especially on Facebook groups have been a great resource for me. I I'm in a restaurant owners Facebook group and I'm in a group for some other entrepreneurial things I'm doing and I could have avoided some very costly mistakes with those other endeavors had I just asked one simple question on the Facebook group.
0: I love that. That's a great tip. Find someone who's been down the path before and ask them what the obstacles are before you head on down there. I love that. So look, you've done the mini experiment. You've wrapped it up. There are obviously many ways to measure the success of a mini experiment, What, to you, were you looking to measure? What were you looking to get out of this?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, profitability is kind of the end goal because you can only treat it as a hobby for so long and it will just keep draining your bank account. So, obviously, that was the goal was to at least see if it was something that was viable in the marketplace. However, as I mentioned, this area isn't necessarily representative of every area, and so... I knew that I couldn't necessarily judge profitability just from this little town of 1,500 people. So in my mind, you know, beyond profitability, it was just seeing the reception of the customers, the feedback, if they thought we had a good product, uh, what kind of reviews we were getting, and also just seeing if it was something I actually enjoyed. And, you know, that's the other risk with locking yourself into something that's not a mini experiment. You know, if I'd signed a year-long lease or 10-year lease, and then after a month, I said, wow, this is terrible, then I may or may not be able to back out from that, or at least not without having a financial mess after.
0: So many entrepreneurs go straight out there and rent an office, get a space, because that is the flag in the ground. I've started, I've got my space, and they sign up to a lease. And then they have a moment of, holy moly, what have I done? I've now promised to pay rent for X number of years and I don't enjoy this. Uh, So I think what you did is incredibly wise, incredibly wise. So your three ways of judging a mini experiment, which I love, is profit, reception in the marketplace, and did you enjoy it? And I think those are three really good factors for those. So let's start with the cash profit. Did you make money, Keith? Are you rolling it? Are you are you jumping off boats? Are you going water skiing? What happened?
1: Yeah, you know, we uh, I've reached my financial independence number. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> so no, unfortunately, I did not get rich doing it, but. Basically, to give you an idea, uh, as far as the gross numbers, I was really happy with because essentially I just checked them before I got on here with you, and my gross numbers were about over half of what my annual salary is in you know about a three or four month period of doing the sales. So wow. that you know makes me feel really good just looking at at the numbers for that. But you know, I had a business account set up where I had all the money coming in from the sales, all the expenses going out, and so it was kind of easy just to look at that uh, see each what's week left. and get idea. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'll be honest. At the beginning, I think we're our numbers were a little bit better because uh, you may have heard we got the stimulus package where people were given a nice check for every person in the household. And we did actually see a pretty big bump in the next couple of weeks after that. However, it seemed to drop quite a bit off after that. So
0: Did it? So you had a a taco stimulus
1: uh, and
0: then it dropped slightly afterwards. Isn't that interesting?
1: Yeah. So there was a few week period where I was struggling a little bit. I had to pull some money in from my personal account. And I was switching back and forth, trying to keep enough money in my personal to pay the bills, trying to flip it over to the business to pay the business. And uh, luckily, i that's when I started really evaluating, okay, think like a business owner. What can I do here to cut the expenses, to increase our sales? And so that's when I had actually made the decision to go down to three days a week because I was looking at the labor costs and they were just eating up all of our profits. So we only had a chance to do that for about two weeks before I ended up shutting down. And I'm happy to say that that pretty much started solving the problem. Looking at the numbers, we we got the ratios um, in the restaurant business. I guess it's common to compare the labor to sales ratio and shouldn't be more than about 20 to 30 percent. And ours were just much too high. And in those last two weeks, we were able to kind of get it down to uh, manageable level that I think would have put us on a path to profitability. In the end, did not make much actual money in the bank but uh, definitely ironed out some things and kind of learned to roll with the punches and learn what factors go into being profitable. I think for your first
0: big experiment, considering you've never hired staff before and this is your first actual restaurant space and you didn't go horrendously bankrupt. You actually (laughs) made a few dollars. That is incredible because your average restaurant doesn't last five years and you've got some incredible learnings without going into debt to do it, which I love that. I think that's incredible. So I would rate that a big success. And for me, that would give me the hope to go, okay, I've done an experiment. I've made a few dollars. I've learned from that that's fantastic, which I guess brings us on to number two. What was the reception in the marketplace? Did people like the tacos? Did they like redheaded step tacos?
1: So yeah, that definitely was a success and it makes you feel really good. I'd never had, I mean, I'd done some of the uh, festivals and little one day or one week long events and people seemed to like it, but the problem with those events, you don't have repeat customers, or if you do, you got to wait till the next year when you go back. So with this, uh, we definitely started getting some repeat customers to the point where we had a handful that literally came in about every other day. You know, they'd walk in and we'd say, oh, you know, you're getting the nachos, right? And then... What When it really hit me was when we went to close down, because I probably should have made it clear when I opened that it was more of an experiment because I was still working the day job. And I had, at least in the back of my mind, there was a chance uh, that we were going to be relocating. But I didn't want to, you know, bring it up if it didn't happen and just put people on this whirlwind. So I kind of just said, well, let's let it play out. But when we uh, told everyone we were closing down... There was almost a uh, rebellion in the town. Oh, so. wow. <laughs> yeah. So we, we actually, on one day, one of our final days, uh, two different gentlemen came in and said, um, they had no idea the other had come in and said a similar thing. They said, man, after you made your announcement the other day, I basically had to dry the tears off of my wife or my girlfriend's face <laughs> so when oh. when, uh, when she found out you were closing. And another funny thing a couple of customers reached out to me, asked if there was any way to uh, buy in bulk and put it in the freezer. <laughs> 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 and ironically, we did have one item. The fried food doesn't freeze so well because it's best eaten fresh. But we had one item, like, uh, it's, so it's a empanada. And it's like a little pastry that you deep fry. And I told the lady I could, pre make them but leave them uncooked and then she could purchase some frozen and she could either bake them or fry them later so she bought i think 30 or 40 of those oh, wow
0: <laughs> i love that so you did you've not you closed it down and started a new business
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah actually a few people said hey maybe you should look into that like <laughs> well, I don't know. my food is really made for that type of thing but hey it makes me feel good, and it's at least something to think about, I guess.
0: <laughs> have you got her details? Can you get back in touch with her and say, uh, and months' time send her an email going, are they coming out well? Do you, do you enjoy them? Can you get back hold of her?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that myself, because I'd never actually them like that. So, yeah, I may reach out back to her, do what she says.
0: You have to. Get her to send you photos. Get, like, take some photos of them homemade and send them to you. I think that's brilliant.
1: Yep. Yeah, there was one customer. He was the one that would come in and get nachos about every other day. And one day, our final days, he ordered the nachos and then he ordered one of the big stepdaddy tacos that was, you know, like the size of a pizza. (laughs) And we said, oh, he must have guests over, you know, tonight. And then he came in. We said, oh, looks like you're getting a stepdaddy taco tonight. Got some guests coming over. No, I'm just trying to figure out a way to hold on to this a little longer. I have to binge all I can uh, before you guys (laughs) leave.
0: Oh, so it sounds like the reviews, the reception of the product in the market, sounds like that couldn't have gone better.
1: Yeah, I think we kind of developed a little bit of a cult following. And I don't know if that's because it was so unique, uh, because we do do the fry bread tacos, which is kind of, unless you're from the Southwest, you most likely haven't heard of, we can get in later to how we're relocating back to Arizona in the Southwest. And it'll be interesting to see if when we do some more experiments, how the reception is there, because it's, you know, a little more well-known. It's got the name recognition. It could prove to be an advantage or disadvantage. We'll find out.
0: Yes. Uh, Well, fried bread tacos have definitely not made it to the UK yet. So I need to come out and visit to taste those.
1: Do you want to uh, invest in a franchise over there?
0: (laughs) I'm I'm trying to retire, Keith. I'm trying to do less. I'm definitely trying to do less. Uh, My wife says, do not start any more businesses, Alan. (laughs) She's partly to blame anyway. But anyway, let's move on quickly before I get myself in trouble. Profitability. You made some dollars. That's good. Reception there was a rebellion in the town. You've got people crying because you're leaving and people buying up stock in bulk so that they can continue the flavor. I'd say (laughs) that was good. The third bit is, did you enjoy it?
1: So, yeah, that's an interesting question. And one (laughs) I haven't fully thought out, but I would say overall, because I do enjoy being in the kitchen and anything culinary, I did enjoy that part. But... When you are there in the back of the kitchen and you're trying to run everything, you know, that was part of the problem was not delegating enough, not hiring out enough. So I'm not just sitting there like I am at home making up a nice meal. It's more running around frantically to the different stations. And, you know, there's a problem up at the front counter with the customer. Got to go take care of that. Oh, we ran out of this item. Got to run to the back and do that. So part of that was uh lack of knowledge and how to s- smoothly run the back of the kitchen. And uh once we kind of fixed some of those kinks, it did make it a bit more enjoyable. But, you know, I did find other parts of being a business owner that I didn't necessarily enjoy <laughs> having to deal with, you know, issues that come up with uh, employees, being a little late, things like that. So I'll be honest, I'm not. Um, like I said, I'm not the most organized person. My employees will tell you that <laughs> I'm more the idea guy. I just want to come up with the ideas, implement it, have a good time trying out the new ideas. So yeah, definitely if I were to make, you know, uh, expand it and make it into a viable business, I would definitely hire people to do the things that I don't enjoy doing <laughs> and having a, a kitchen manager that handles all the hiring, the firing, the training, things like that.
0: Well, it's tough when you start out, isn't it? Because when you start out, you are the business. And I think that's really difficult for people to get their heads around. You have to manage the finances, the stock, you have to be HR, you have to do the product, you have to do the customer service. It's all up to you. And I think even with employees, I remember Henry, the first person I hired at Pop Up, saying to me in the early days, like, what's my job description? You do everything. There's no, like (laughs) it's me and you. That's it. There is no one else to do this stuff. And I think there's a marked difference between an employee mindset that goes, my job is to serve the customers to a self-employed business mindset, which says there are no lines. If it needs doing, it gets done.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. What was your experience of that particular element?
1: So yeah, it was, I, there were definitely parts of that I enjoyed. I had mentioned that I picked up a lot of new skills, ordering inventory, hiring employees, tracking the all the numbers. I found out that I do actually really like data and <gasps> the a point of sale system that I use. You can break it down by the day, the week, the month, the year, the item, and you can do trends. And so I, I've always liked math, but this was just kind of cool to be able to look at the big picture and... And say, oh, why is it that on, you know, Mondays where you get this amount of sales and then suddenly this day we got this many. And so I was actually able to use that when we decided to go down to the three days a week. It wasn't just a willy nilly decision, but I could tell my customers, hey, based on I gave it my best shot going six days a week. We wanted to you know, give everyone an opportunity to come any day they wanted, but based on the sales history, it's not sustainable. And so these are the three days that we can remain open because of that. So yeah, there were definitely parts of it that I learned that I did enjoy. And like I said, I can always hire out the rest.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And the geeky data of the days and the dishes and the, that is how you learn to improve your business is that desire to really understand it at a numbers, at a customer level. That's where the real juice is. And that learning you've got from going through that data, you can apply to any future businesses, mini experiments you do. And you've got that learning now.
1: One thing I was going to mention related to that in my relocation and hopefully reopening in another state, I'm hoping to basically, of course, take everything I learned here, but also do it from a more data-driven standpoint. So when I created my dishes, I picked the prices just based on what I thought I would be willing to spend for something of that size. Well, I may not be my own target market because I'm pretty cheap, pretty frugal, <laughs> so, you know, I shouldn't really be doing it based on that or necessarily even based on, oh, what are people willing to pay? But I learned, you know, through these groups and doing some research that there's certain percentages with the cost of the product versus the sale price and different benchmarks. And so I'm going to take all that and in my hopeful reopening, analyze all of it and come up with price points that are data-driven versus just, "Ah, I think this is what I might be willing to pay for a plate of nachos.
0: (laughs) People will pay six bucks or eight bucks for a nachos, you just guess, as opposed to what does it cost, what do they spend in other areas, and all the data-driven approach. So you can roll all that learning into any next business.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, uh, even my supplier, food supplier, he said they had a program where you could put in All of your items and it would integrate their current prices for those items and the quantities. And it would predict based on all this data, your dish XYZ costs this much to produce. And then you can actually see what your best margin items are. And then maybe you try to advertise those more versus the one that you're barely break, you know, breaking even or whatever. Or maybe that you use that to make decisions of do I need to raise the price? Do I need to take it off the menu? So I didn't ever get a chance to fully dive into that because, uh, you know, like I said, it was kind of a experiment and a lot going on. But definitely in the future, I plan to really dial that in and uh, use some of those cool features. So.
0: I love that. So is that a big national supplier that had that piece of software?
1: So this is more of a regional, I believe. But it sounds like I'm assuming that they're probably not the only ones with something similar. And if If they are, I can at least create this Excel spreadsheet and do it manually pretty easily. I think.
0: Well, I think there's a really important tip there because you never know how your suppliers can help you. So, did they suggest this to you? Did you did it just come out of a conversation with them? Because you're pretty, you're good at talking to people. Like, how did this come up?
1: Yeah, that he actually brought it up in our first meeting. You know, they're trying to get my business, of course, so they're throwing out everything to try to hook me in. But, yeah, he actually brought it up and he said, you know, I don't want to overwhelm you right now. We'll let you get settled in, but maybe sometime down the line, if you want to evaluate this, I'm more than willing to help you with it. But, yeah, like you said, you never know what kind of resources are out there and it doesn't hurt to ask around and see what already exists before going and trying to create something from scratch.
0: I love that. So I, I've started to realize, Keith, that life is a journey – with a series of experiments as you go along. And some of my experiments have lasted longer than others. Some don't last very long at all because I do the experiment and then realise that my idea was dreadful uh, and we pretend those don't happen. But it's a series of mini experiments, adventures, all of these different things. And always you take what you learn and roll it into the next one. Where are you going next? You're relocating. Yeah. What's next?
1: Yeah, so I brought that. Uh, we kind of alluded to it, and just for the audience, other so wondering why did I shut this down if it was seemed to be trending in the right direction. So I actually, after much thoughts as to my overall plan, life plan, financial plan, decided to join the Army Reserves, which is basically part-time soldier, and they advertise as one weekend a month and about two weeks during the summer every year. And uh, initially, I will say I was kind of drawn by all their advertising, you know, their big bonuses and everything. But the more I looked into it, the more it kind of just made sense for the lifestyle that I want, uh, being an entrepreneur. And, you know, it's going to provide inexpensive insurance for my family. And not to mention, after looking through all the different specialties that were available the one that jumped off the page at me was a culinary specialist. So after, uh, you know, 32 years of my life, never having any formal culinary training. And now I have the opportunity to go and get some formal training in that. I've heard some people say it's the the worst job in the army because they got long hours and it's a thankless job. But, you know, I said someone's got to do it. Might as well be someone like myself that enjoys being in the kitchen. So I don't I don't mind the long hours. I don't mind the hard work. So in the meantime, I'll be getting a, a good culinary education and, you know, a chance to serve uh, the country. So, yep, that was part one of the decision. And then uh, associated with that, we decided it would be unfair to leave my wife at home with our now seven children for four months <laughs> while I we went to uh, boot camp and, uh, and the culinary training. So we decided to relocate back home to Arizona, where she'll have family support on both sides to help during that time.
0: I love that. And one of the expressions that uh, I learned, I can't even remember where I learned this from now, but it definitely dictated which jobs I went for was take a job for what you can learn, not what you can earn. And I think you're going to get a whole host of skills. And it's my image of, Military culinary work will be you will be producing large volumes at a large scale at a large pace, and I'm assuming there will be a whole host of useful skills that you can learn there that you can apply to the next thing
1: yeah exactly yeah I'm real excited about that obviously, not everything in it's going to be directly applicable to the <laughs> civilian world you know they do learn learn how to uh basically prepare meals out in the middle of the wilderness you know when they need to, and they've got this big tent type thing that's got all the equipment that they pop out and and make all their meals so but yeah like you said there's definitely going to be some good skills that i'll be able to take with me
0: so tell me to sort of wrap this up you spoke about having a flagship restaurant in arizona one day but you also had another crazy aspiration didn't you
1: yes yes i did so i don't know where the idea came from but uh, like I said, I kind of like to go all in and think big, and one day it just hit me when I was making, I think it was when I was making one of our big stepdaddy tacos, which is about the size of a pizza, and I said, you know, the only reason we make them this size is because that's as big as the fryer. I wonder how big we we could really make one, and then the, it went from that to, I wonder what the biggest fried bread taco in the world is. I wonder if that's a record, and so after doing some research, uh, it turns out, yes, There is a specific record for the largest (laughs) fried bread taco in the world. And it was just beaten, I think, not even two years ago, maybe one year ago. And I said, you know what, I want to make that my life goal. So first, it was kind of a joke. But the more I thought about it, the more serious I got about it. And I thought it would be a great way to do a grand opening of a flagship restaurant if I do end up um, in that position in my new location. And uh I plan to get the city on board where I'll be living, possibly even the Native American community. There's actually a Native American community there, and they're actually the one credited with the creation of the fry bread taco. And so I, I might try to get them on board somehow, get some food suppliers on board, pop up business school, of course, <laughs> and uh, anybody else that, uh, you know, would enjoy being involved. So. I did actually call the, uh, or I signed up on the website to have someone reach out to me from Guinness World Records. I figure I might as well start the process instead of just talking about it. And it turns out it is pretty pricey to have an official person there, assuming, you know, this virus ever goes away. And they said, you know, there are opportunities for sponsorships from different organizations. So. I definitely will be looking into that and I think it would be a great uh, event for not just my business but for the local community.
0: So you said the largest fry bread taco currently was £350 and eight foot in diameter.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think that weight was before they even put any toppings on if i'm not mistaken <laughs> <laughs> so that was just for the fried bread only so yes we will have to beat i'm not sure they'll give me a list of specific rules if i end up pursuing it but i may have to beat the weight and diameter uh dimension so we'll see how that goes
0: Will you tell us all about it? Like, let me know when it is um, to the listeners of the show. Make sure you signed up to the mailing list because I will send an email out when Keith is going to attempt this challenge, letting everyone know that it's going to go on. Uh, but will you let us know when it is so that we can all come down and share and buy some and eat some? Yes,
1: absolutely. But one rule I do know that they've already told me is the, for any of their food competition, you do have to have people there to eat it. So <laughs> you can imagine it, <laughs> it will take a lot of uh, mouths to uh, eat a, you know, 350 plus pound taco. So absolutely. We would love to have you there. And uh, yep, I'm really hoping to make it happen.
0: Let's bring the Rebel Entrepreneur audience down. Let's all go and eat the largest fried bird taco in the world. It yeah. sounds like great fun. <laughs> Keith, thank you so much for telling us about your mini experiment, how you evaluated what you did and what you have learned. I absolutely love your formula of knowing if a mini experiment works by number one, profit. Number two, what was the reception in the market? And number three, did I have fun? Would I do it again? I think that's a brilliant formula. So to anyone who is listening to the show, that's the things to think through when you do your first mini experiment. Make it small, get it done, get out there and launch it, and then see what you learn. And that's the way to do it. Any last messages to anyone, Keith?
1: No, I think you've pretty much uh, covered it. And uh, yeah, thanks for pulling that out of me, because you put it into words really well there. So... Yep. Anyone who's on the fence, I would say go for it, but proceed ambitiously, but cautiously.
0: Ambitiously, but cautiously. Awesome. Here's the three things I would love you to take away from this episode. The evaluation of a mini experiment is critical. And actually, continue evaluation of your life in general is critical because... How do you know if you're going in the right direction? How do you know if it's working unless you continually check in? My wife and I, every single month, do a monthly reflection to work out. Is it going well? Are we heading in the right direction? Are things working? Are we enjoying it? Do we want to change anything? Because sometimes you get into something that didn't work for you. And if it's not working for you, you should get out of it. But if you don't do the reflection, how do you notice that? So the three things that we look at to see if a mini experiment works or not are, number one, did you enjoy it? Like you're not going to enjoy every part of the project. It's not like you've been in blissful paradise for the entire time you've been doing the mini experiment. It is overall, did you have fun? Did you enjoy it? Would you do it again? Are you excited? Because if you're not excited, if you don't want to do it again then you're not going to have the motivation to pull yourself through to get where you need to get to. So number one is, are you excited? Number two, did the customers enjoy it? Did the people you sold to enjoy it? Did they pay you money? Would they come back? Did you do a survey at the end? Could you see the smile on their face when you Bit into when they bit into your food that you sold? Were they joyous when you supported them? What was the feedback like? Did the customers enjoy it? Because if the customers didn't enjoy it, you're going to struggle to build it into a long term business. So, number one, did you enjoy it? Number two, did the customers enjoy it? And number three, did you make any money? And I tell you what, this is one of the biggest downfalls of an entrepreneur. They forget to take a detailed look at the numbers. And you would not believe how many entrepreneurs that I meet that are selling something for $20 that cost them 25 when you had in time, transport and all the other stuff. And they're losing money doing business. Like that's, that's crazy. Did you make money in this mini experiment? And sometimes in the mini experiment, you go, well, actually, no, I didn't make money, but I know how to next time. So I'm willing to have another go. Or I broke even and I think I know how to improve it. So I'm willing to have another go. It doesn't have to have made money for you to progress, but you have to know, I feel confident making this cash and I've analyzed the numbers and I've done my homework. Because if you haven't done that, how can you know if it's going to work or not? So know your numbers, know your cash did you make any money? And those are the three things we suggest you measure when you're running a mini experiment for your business. And this doesn't have to be as a startup. Simon and I still do this. Simon, my business partner, and I still do this to this day, whereby we do an mini experiment and then we go, do we enjoy it? We've got an established business, but we try something different. Did we enjoy it? Would we do it again? Did it make money? And we still do this to this day. So it doesn't really matter what stage of business you're in. If you've got an idea, run a mini experiment. Did you enjoy it? Did the customer enjoy it? Did you make money? If yes, proceed, do more. If no, try another idea. It's a very simple formula that will work really well to keep you on track. (sighs) What an episode. There is so much more I've got coming up for you. The first season of the coaching series is about to finish. You've got the last episode is episode 12 with Christina and you'll hear the end of that. And then season two starts afterwards, which I am super excited about. We have an artist. So you will be hearing an artist business working out how do they make money out of their passion? How do they make money out of art? And we're going on a journey with Miss Jamie Dillon as she works out how to make money on her art what to focus on, and where to go. So we have a huge amount coming for you there, and I'm so excited to share it all with you. Thank you for being part of the Rebel family, the Rebel Alliance. You see what I did there? Go out there, do some mini experiments, make some money, make the world a better place, and have some fun. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a Rebel Entrepreneur.